Welcome to Monsters, Madness, and Magic. We would like to offer thanks to all you heretics and maniacs for your continued support and encourage you to visit our website at monstersmadnessandmagic.com to stay up to date on all the dark dealings within the Sanctuary of the Strange. We can also be found slithering our way into your nearest social media platforms. Be sure to follow Monsters, Madness, and Magic on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. If you enjoy the show and would like to unlock Patreon-exclusive content, consider subscribing at patreon.com forward slash Monsters Madness Magic. Enjoy the show. <laughs> Greetings, boils and ghouls. This is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper, here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> Welcome to the Monsters, Madness, and Magic podcast. I'm Justin, and this afternoon we are joined by a very special guest, a man of many talents, Involved with many amazing acts you're sure to be familiar with, including but not limited to King Diamond, Merciful Fate, Sabaton, Dream Evil, the Solo Sage, Mr. Snowy Shaw. Snowy, how the hell are you? I'm the hell good. <laughs> I'm very good. Thanks for having me here. Take us back in time, Snowy. When you were a kid, what music, films, and television uh, were you devouring? Of course, growing up in Sweden, we were kind of limited in that sense, but we... Uh... Despite what a lot of the Swedes would like to uh, admit to, we were like very Americanized in a lot of ways. Compared to, let's say, Germany or France or something, they, we would have, have subtitles on the, on the films and, and movies and stuff so we could actually hear them speak. Right. Compared to, to, to the Germans who dubbed it all, so, so they could, didn't get used to the, the sound of the English language, for example. But anyway, so, so um, you know, I got to say, there was a German guy, though, who moved to Sweden. He, he started this magazine poster that was totally against the grain because he picked up he is the responsible for making kiss huge in sweden for example oh okay and he also kind of brought in all those horror magazines from dc comics and and uh, marvel and all that so it was like superhero comics and uh, a lot of those werewolf at the night and dracula and frankenstein and all those that kind of stuff so i would say that i owe my life to him i mean it changed my life because of those <laughs> Big poster magazines, for example. I don't know what I have here, but you know. So, and also, I was like really into to anything suspense, kind of horror, comics, and superhero comics, and all that kind of fantastic world, kind of like a dream world where you can escape, sort of like that. Exactly. Compared to kind of gray and boring everyday life, I suppose. Even though you're when you're seven or whatever, but you understand, you know. Yeah. But it was kind of limited compared to what you guys had, probably. I, I assume, yeah. What yeah. was the gentleman's name, the German gentleman? Forgot it now. I mean, that's a shame. What's his name? Um, Hans Hatwig. Hans Hatwig. Okay, I'm going to have to Hatwig. look him up. Yeah, both a, both a hat and a wig. No, I didn't, but his <laughs> name is Hatwig. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's been responsible for a lot of that kind of junk culture, if you want to call it that. Right. And uh, he mixed all those colors, like, like orange and pink and red and everything. And everything. Uh, people's eyes were bleeding but i loved it <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. but, you know, anyway. right up my alley i'm gonna check him out after this you gotta do because i mean he deserves he's like i mean there are certain key persons in your life when you're growing up that's been like i'd be like and he's one of them a lot of focus on this guy for, for whatever reason but anyway right. anyway bob estrin is the same thing because he was behind kiss 
destroyer. That's what I discovered first. And I have to look back on that. Do I really like Kiss or is it Bob Estrin that I'm a fan of? Because what he did with Alice Cooper as well. Right. You know, he was responsible for shaping that whole sort of villain, you know, instead of portraying yourself as a good guy, it's like some sort of superhero. Right. Alice Cooper was portrayed or or you know, uh, as a, the villain, the, the the bad guy with snakes and digging up graves and uh, all that horror right. thing. And that really appealed to me and then scared the shit out of me. So, of course, <laughs> it's appealing. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's just, right. So it's a chicken or egg situation. You don't really know which one came first. They just kind of both happened. Yeah, yeah but he, Bob Estrin was definitely one of those key persons and Hans Hartwig was uh, another one. So at uh, what age did you discover your vocal range? Did you stub your toe on the corner of your mom's couch and shatter the china? Was it on accident? Uh, I can't say really. I mean, I never, the thing is probably that I can't sing. <laughs> I'm, I, I wasn't able to sing. So, so I tried to, to uh, emulate or, or copy others or whatever, but I had no ambition to sing. Uh, until I was like in my mid twenties or something like that, because being myself, like do it yourself kind of mentality, I got so f- pissed off at all my bands that I put together that I uh, was supposedly going to be great bands and all that, the, the coolest concept and all that. But we weren't able, or I wasn't able to, to uh, to find any singer, let alone a good singer, to to fit with this because he's supposed to be the front man and all that. And I, I always considered consider myself a, a drummer at one point i i um, i figured that okay fuck this shit i don't uh, either i'm gonna quit or i have to do it myself and then i try to to sing but i read about this a little bit in the book because i'm so tall i was like screaming my head off for a while there and tried to to sing like eric adams man war and and stuff and I, of course i could go do those kind of screams also king diamond stuff because of right. that i kind of coped when i was like growing up doing yeah black funeral stuff uh, with a vocal range like that so i went to a vocal coach because i was like getting hoarse horse throat and all that and a, and a friend of mine said yeah but i know a vocal coach you can go you know at least give it a shot at least you know and, and i went there and i wouldn't listen to him his good advice or anything like that but he said he said Maybe he was a little bit religious somehow. And he said, maybe you should do the best of what God gave you, he said. <laughs> and he said, because you're so tall, your vocal cords are longer, which makes you a baritone bass. Usually it is like that. And a lot of those tenor singers that had like those kind of high range vocals, they are very short guys. When I started to think about it, because I mean, I was like trying to sing like Bruce Dickinson or Eric Adams or Klaus Mein or, or Dio, obviously. Mm-hmm. And all those guys, they are... I wouldn't say they are midgets, but they are very, very short. You know, so they are naturally they are they are tenors like that. Right. And did I take his good advice and and focus on my low voice? No, not really. But uh, I just kept going. And so I've been trying, I guess. So I have a pretty wide range. Right. That doesn't necessarily sound awfully good in certain areas, but you know, I'll do my best basically. I think it's worked yeah. out fine for you. So you did just mention your biography. I do want to ask you about that. You started saying that you started the biography because it was a form of personal therapy. So was that just the singular goal initially? And then it morphed into, well, this could be a book. This happened right after I turned 40. I tried to, to uh, listen to people say, yeah, but it's just a number. Yeah, maybe it is to you, but to me, I had like a crisis, you know, t- from when I was 19, turning 20, because I was like kind of a promising young drummer. And people were saying, yeah, you have your whole life to accomplish that. But time flies, you know, and when you spill over from 19 to, and you're not a teenager anymore, or something's got to fucking happen here. I mean, I got to make sacrifices and give up all the bad crowd that I was hanging with because this certainly doesn't take me any closer to my goal, I figured, and stuff. You know, now, <laughs> I rewinded a little bit too far, but what I was getting at is that that happened when I was 20, and then you hit 30, and every time I, he hits, like, uh, every 10 years or something, you start to think, okay, I've been walking this path now for uh, or struggling to towards that, but where has this gotten me? Uh, is it closer to my goal or whatever it is? It's good to, to sit back and, and take time out or just, you know, try to reevaluate lives and things. And should I continue on this path or should I do differently? But when I turned 40, I mean, there was no escaping. Now I'm a middle-aged man. 
<laughs> and I couldn't fucking deal with that. It's some sort of Peter Pan syndrome or something right. like that. <laughs> like, oh, what happened to all those dreams? I'm going to be like, yes, it hasn't happened. Despite the fact that I had just come home after a whole year on, on, on the road with Therian as a frontman singer and stuff. So you could say that was very successful in a lot of ways. We were out for an for entire year, basically. But that didn't help much because, you know, I was 40 years old. And uh, instead of jumping from the bridge here in Gothenburg or spending my hard-earned money on, on a shrink for a long time ahead, <laughs> I just figured that, okay, yeah, like, wow, maybe I should... I never written any journal or diary or kept a diary like that or anything, but I wanted to write about it because I could then distance myself and, and look at it objectively. So I went home and just write uh, on my computer, uh, open a fucking word program, whatever, and just kept writing all my thoughts and went through my life, basically. So, so to my surprise, after a couple of weeks, I kept doing that 24-7, basically. And after a while, I started to see things more positively again because at that point I was so super bleak and negative in, in, in any sense. I, I thought I was the biggest loser ever who has, hadn't accomplished anything. But after a while, okay, I had a, had a very rich life. It's been ups and downs and you learn from your mistakes and all that. And uh, so it actually worked. I, I was able to see, wow, the sun is shining, even though it's November and it's fucking gray and rainy in, in Gothenburg. But I still could sense a bit of, uh, I've come to terms with my fucking inner demons and all that. So I put that aside and continued with my life and, and uh, was working in the studio or whatever. I told myself that I should maybe keep a journal and write down my thoughts because this mm -hmm. was kind of helpful in a therapeutic way. And so I kept doing that when I went out on tour and stuff. And after a while, it sort of morphed, like you say, into uh, maybe I should do is make a book out of this because... I've had a pretty rich or um, adventurous or exciting life. Right. So uh, maybe people want to read about that. And uh, I told myself from day one, when I started doing this, since this was like a homemade therapy, basically, that if I'm not dead honest with myself or, or spilling the beans, being deadly honest with myself, it won't help. I can sit here and lie. <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. So, so, so that is the kind of thread sort of that I kept doing. And, and uh, so eventually it morphed into a book, but it uh, kept that kind of goal to, to, to speak the truth and say it how it is. A lot of those books, I mean, there's been uh, since the dirt, I suppose, it's been kind of a fashionable or a thing. A, a lot of aging rock stars or whatever put out their books and it's kind of the same, I suppose, you know, like, Right. broken homes and wow wow you you reach fame and and fortune and you move to beverly hills and do drugs and shit you know <laughs> but you know so i wanted to tell my story and uh, right. because i've been with so many different bands and all that and all the turmoil and all the bullshit and and how hard it is i mean some people may say wow you really succeeded to to be able to to make your life into music to turn your hobby into a profession yeah but everything is not sunshine all the time i gotta say exactly. you know, so. It's a, it's a lot of struggle and sacrifice, and, and you bump into a lot of uh, obstacles and dumb assholes that want to stab you in the back and rip you off and all that. So oh, yeah. I'm, I'm just telling the truth here. So yeah, such <laughs> so is life. In the book, that's what I mean. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What happened after, I just continue, and then I figure, okay, let's publish this. But it took me fucking 10 years to, to, to finish this because I, I was writing off and on. I mean, it, it, I wasn't in any hurry, really. So when I turned 50, I put it out. I find that, you know, we tend to be our own worst critics. So writing can help you zoom out. Like you said, you start to realize, well, my life hasn't been so bad, you know, because now you're looking, since you're writing your thoughts down, you look back on them and you yeah. reflect a little, you know. Yeah, you have to relive all those moments as well. I mean, that was the whole purpose of doing it, to, yes, to uh, get to hang on myself or, or come to terms with myself. and my. How would you say that writing a song or an album compares and contrasts to writing a book now that you've experienced both? I got to say that I, I pretty much pretty much tried every fucking alley to, to uh, make ends meet, basically, or out of curiosity, like writing songs for other people and uh, doing this and that, you know. But uh, what I'm getting at is that, you know, I'm kind of used to singing to music and then I think of rhythm and, and harmonies or, or the, the, the tones and stuff. But, you know, when I was like doing a spoken word, I had nothing to lean on because there are no basic rhythms here. I have to talk. I'm no actor, really. So I, I can't do like spoken words like that. What I'm getting at is that uh, I intend to make audiobook out of this no. down the road here. But uh, anyway, the, the problem is that 
when I'm writing lyrics, for example, or music. Yeah, but then you have like those phrases and, and it's going to be rhymed here and there and blah, 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 blah. You've got to follow the vocal line. That's how I do it anyway. So, but now I have a completely blank sheet and I have to fill that. It, it doesn't have to be in verse or anything like that. So the, the basics are totally off. I mean, this is a whole different thing. And I've never had any previous experience from writing in that sense. Or I haven't read an awful lot of books either, I got to admit. So, so, so I could just try to live up to my own standards or what I, as long as I think it's good, then it's fine. You know, it's got to be right. some sort of sense of drama or whatever the fuck it is. It's got to be a point to the story. It's got to be a punchline or whatever, you know, reach. <laughs> right. Yeah, but it's, it's so, so it's kind of hard to compare. People write music in different ways too. And uh, I kind of honed my own way of doing things because I'm, I'm not uh, educated in any way or I just figured out myself how to play guitar and all that. Also that because I'm out of necessity because uh, I got tired of sitting behind the drums and, and the guys didn't have any ideas. Really. I mean, I always... There was never any thought or, or question in my head that when I formed my first band that we should make original music. Why should we play other people's songs? That was like out of the question. I never crossed my mind even. But the other guys, maybe they didn't have so many ideas. Or so I had to sit there behind the drums and maybe right. you could do like... And they tried to pick that out. And I got tired of <laughs> walking around and trying to... So I had to learn to play myself just to, to be able to um, show them my songs or right. my ideas. Comparing writing a book and writing right, a song. Right, it's yes. like two different worlds, but you know, it has touching you know, moments or, or common grounds, I suppose, you know, right. how, do, how you do stuff. And you can apply that to, to uh, writing a song or making a movie or whatever. It's got to be a, a sense of drama or, or, or uh, nuances and, and uh, ups and downs and this and that. Mm -hmm. Just like how you arrange songs. It's got to right. be interesting. You don't have like verse, uh, pre-chorus, chorus, verse, pre-chorus, chorus, and just keep repeating that. It's got to be a, a break somehow or break it down, a solo or change right. the... Yeah, whatever the fuck it is, you know. Make it interesting. Yeah, to keep attention span nowadays, so it's, it's like half a second also, so it's got to be interesting. Exactly. <laughs> Somehow, yeah. We just kind of touched on the DIY stuff. I'm not a musician, but I, like I said, I told you that if I were a musician, I'd want to be in a similar situation as yourself. You know, you've, you've been with these great bands, you've played these big shows, but still at the end of the day, you're your own boss doing your own thing. So I guess what I'm trying to ask is, was the solo path always your end game in the back of your head or is it something you came to realize down the road? No, God knows I've tried. I tried to, to, to be members of bands and all that, but it took me many years to realize that because um, the way I grew up and stuff, I mean, okay, you had all those bands as a template on how it should be. And seeing that from the outside, you think everything's, everything is hunky-dory and they get along and all but <laughs> that's not really the case, you know? And I also realized that I'm kind of different and I didn't know how much different I was, but gradually over the years, you, you, you start seeing that, that I kind of tend to see music or, or try to capture like visions and put that into to music and all that. And people just stare at me like I'm weird or whatever, but that's the way I do it. And um, I never planned that out, but, over time, I realized that, fuck that shit. I, I cannot put myself in any dependent position when I'm depending on others because they don't show up. They don't do their homework, so to speak, or they don't do, they don't contribute in any way. So I was like, what the fuck should I do with you? I can play the bass myself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you can read about that in the book too, because I mean, before, I mean, in the past, you, did, you didn't have any other options really than to be a band. Everybody played play their instruments but how to record and, and, and all that. But I was asked to, to do a Kiss tribute on a Kiss tribute album to, uh, to contribute with a couple of songs there. It was just me. And so I borrowed, this was like in 96 or 97 or something. I borrowed this, like, what do you call it? Like uh, home studio equipment with ADATs and all that and a little bit mixing board and, and a couple of micro, microphones and stuff. And I put that up in my house where I had like a rehearsal room at home uh, with the drums and all that. And I was able to, to do it all myself and to sing for the first time on this recording and stuff. I mean, it came out so-and-so, I suppose. But anyway, I realized that, wow, I don't need those other people. No. <laughs> I can actually do this myself, you know. Right. And it was such a 
liberation or or like so such a big freedom to wow i don't need to depend on you guys because you don't fucking show up half on time and, <laughs> and and i'm so sick of you people because i'm more dedicated to this you know yes but it took me quite a while because i mean i didn't want to be a solo artist or anything like that i wanted to to create my fantasy band like my kiss band <laughs> like right. concept feel that in a book too like like notre dame which was my first sort of band i kind of invented all the people <laughs> i mean it's just wow. everything is like ghost pretty much like i did that uh, gotcha like, okay it's a french name i gotta have jean-pierre decide on lead guitar but i mean i play all the guitar stuff so <laughs> i just made it up <laughs> but i think i mean i think it's okay i mean i'm not having committed genocide or, or murder or anything like that i'm, I'm just inventing a f- i'm operating in a, in a world of fantasy right. of make believe and, and stuff like that just like you do with creating illusions with movies or whatever the fuck it is as far as i'm concerned the, the world of heavy metal or music or rock music is like a fantasy world to me so is it fair to say that the diy stuff where you learning all the instruments and doing your own thing was born out of frustration for other people not doing their job <laughs> Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you got to st- start somehow, you know. Right. And like you said, it's it served you well, so give yourself a pat on the back. Yeah, but, you know, if I could, you know, have a time machine and go back and tell myself, would give myself some good advice when I was younger, and, uh, then I should have started that path way earlier. But it is like it is. I mean, it takes mm-hmm. some time for you to, to realize that, okay, this doesn't work. I, I, for the longest time, I thought, okay, I, I just found the, the wrong members. They are not as dedicated or they don't share my opinions or, or visions or uh, stuff like that. I got to find the right people. Right. But after being in uh, countless bands, I just realized that maybe this is just a fantasy. It's not going to work. I'm never going to be satisfied. When I've been in, in uh, big bands like Merciful Fate, for example, I was kind of naive in that sense. So I thought I'm a full-time member, and which means that I have all the rights to contribute with music and stuff. But that was never a question about that because they had uh, set up some, some rules back in the early 80s when I was like still in seventh grade or something like that. That dinner, right, that, that much. Or, or basically it's Hank writes 40%. King writes 40%, King writes all the lyrics, and the remaining 20% is done to, uh, up to, um, to Michael Denner to write. And when I tried to, to uh, contribute and show them my, my song ideas, I mean, I was just brushed off. I mean, it was mm-hmm. no interest whatsoever. And uh, so I realized, okay, they, they, are, they just want a fucking timekeeper. I don't want to be down on them or anything like that. But if it had been, if they had put that down on, on a, you know, been clear about that or, or said that from from the from the get-go then i would have the chance at least to to live with that or or take in that kind of information and do whatever right. i wanted with that but i mean so over time i mean i get kind of depressed if i don't get to uh, have an outlet a creative outlet in any sort of way i'm just there as a hired gun and that's a, that doesn't work for me right. i've tried that many times but it doesn't work if you had known what they were requiring that you would be so limited do you think you would have went for it yeah, I would probably have done that because I was a Merciful Fate fan back in, in, in the days and all that. And uh, it's a great opportunity and uh, it was, uh, yeah, in many ways. But if you have expectations that cannot be realized because you uh, you don't have the, the, you don't know what to, what is expected from you, then I would have just like, okay, I want to write any songs. I want to involve myself in that department. That's all up to you. I am a hired gun who gets paid <laughs> you know, to, right. to, to play drums, you know. Then I would have um, accepted that fact or, or just get the fuck out. Uh, get the- so correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong on this, because I saw another one of your interviews um, that you joined King Diamond when you were 21 and that you were very green. So I wanted to ask you what those growing pains were like, especially dealing with uh, someone the size of King Diamond. Yeah, but I, I was a rookie in a lot of ways. I mean, I had spent my time trying to, to put my own bands together and stuff. And I had like those fabulous ideas, I thought. And uh, but I had, hadn't been playing live for, for years and years and since I was like a young teenager. And, and then we played at the youth center or just like locally in Gothenburg and, and the surrounding outskirts of that. And now I was like joining a band who was living in Los Angeles and going out on a three-month headlining big-ass fucking tour of America <laughs> for starters. And uh, I mean, I never spoke English before that even. I mean, wow. I went to school, but I... I, I I didn't put any efforts whatsoever on that. It never occurred to me even. So I was like, 
and they've been they were king is like 12 years older than me and, and the other guy's like six seven years old or something and they are so they've been around for a long while and i felt like wow why everything is so big you know <laughs> so <laughs> the only thing i felt comfortable with or something or basically was like to, to play the drums i mean that's my right my backyard so yeah but apart from that i, I just had to um i was young and i just turned 21 the, the same week or the, the week before i joined or whatever and and we fl- flew over to to los angeles and where they were living and been had been living for three or four years or something like that but and they've been touring the world so they were really experienced and all that but anyway so i had to you know kind of observe and and uh, and gradually I learned to, to pick up how it works. This is like a big ass circus, you know, and with crew members and groupies and drugs and blah, blah, blah. Well, okay. <laughs> I've never been exposed to any of that. So, so I could yeah. say that I did catch up though. <laughs> yeah, you did. Did you ever, at any point, did you show King when you learned your, you had the capacity to do the vocals that, hey, you're not the only guy that could, you know, <laughs> I could sing. Yeah, this. actually, I mean, I was, I, I was screaming back then, like when we were partying and stuff, we had a, this band toxic uh, band from new york who uh, opening up for us and they were doing this exciter <laughs> song and they wanted me to join them on stage because we were partying and we, i used to scream my head off like that and and i remember on the european tour on the conspiracy tour that king lost his voice sometimes so i helped him out by screaming in the, in the snare microphone <laughs> <laughs> oh that's great <laughs> Yeah, well, of course, it's uh, it's down to to King, and it's got to be him or only. I mean, he don't want any help from the other guys, even though right. Andy can sing too and stuff. Not of him. No, I don't know. <laughs> so since since the pandemic started, you took up quite a cool undertaking. You know, you've been releasing a song each month. So I'm curious what challenges you face doing that. Are you finding that the time constraints kind of help you get the juices flowing a bit faster? I gotta say that this pandemic thing has really put a hold to the, the whole world as we all know but and i had canceled tours because when i released the book i was supposed to be out on a european tour like a book signing uh, also playing semi-acoustically and and to meet the fans sort of more intimate and sign books and and uh, you know play a couple of songs and you know talk in between the songs and all that so that was supposed to happen in europe and and, and then america for a couple of months but that is postponed now of course everybody's just still waiting for this thing to blow over or they can have a good vaccine for this or something but i'm not sure about that i mean a lot of my colleagues and stuff they oh i can't wait for this shit to blow over so things can go back to normal and i was like what do you mean normal do you think it was that good in uh, 2019 i mean right. the, the fucking music industry is pretty much dying and has been for many many years and it's not like it's gonna wow all of a sudden we open up the floodgates and everybody's gonna compete about the same audience and this has been a recession or, or economical crisis all over the world. And, and you cannot expect people to go to six shows per, per week or anything like that. And every, right. every, uh, it's like uh, floodgates. Everybody's going to go through the same door. It's not going to work. That's my opinion. But uh, but what I'm getting at is that to me, I mean, my, my life doesn't, doesn't seem to be that much different. I mean, I'm kind of isolating myself pretty much in a way, working, doing my own shit. It's all up right. to me. So I have a big house and yeah, when I work and I, I live here basically, you know, and then, so uh, it, it's not that much different, I gotta say, but this project that I'm, it's a, it's, let's say it's a combination of, of many different things coinciding. I put out 2018, I put out White is the New Black, which is a, an album basically comprised of other, a number of different directions that I'm, I've been writing in. I've been doing because I, for, for some reason I have to have to have some sort of direction and I want it to be uh, 100% homogenic I think that's the word meaning that I want the lyrics and the way I sing or or how it's orchestrated and and uh, the artwork and everything to be all put together but when I'm doing that I tend to get tired of myself so so I start slipping into something else like if i do this kind of uh, troll uh, john bauer inspired sort of epic dark fairy tale music right. whatever i get tired of myself so i start doing more acdc guns and roses rock music oh, gotcha. on the side and then i like wow this is really what i want to do so <laughs> then i do that for a while and then i get tired of that and, and it spills over into something else and i want to be able to do all those different styles because uh, they are full concepts i think you know but the thing is that when i did my album for the longest time it took me years and years how the fuck am i going to combine this i mean if i buy a judas priest album 
uh, you even though you want to be surprised it's got to be something new but you yeah. still want to be able to to uh tell what band it is yeah. for example it's not like wow they all of a sudden they are reggae uh, <laughs> that's not what you expect so 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 you gotta have stick to your guns or follow that same path in a way but i, I kind of allowed myself to to have a very wide repertoire or whatever you say right or uh, diversity a lot of diversity there i have so much to say <laughs> one of those directions was this album called this is a metal plain and simple it was when I didn't try to reinvent the wheel, it wasn't that experimental. It was more basic, good old heavy metal, hard rock, whatever you want to call it. And also I was planning on using some songs that I wrote for Dream Evil, for example, that was never used for whatever reason. And But, but they are still good songs. And um, so that's what I intended to do. Now it coincided with the fact that I wanted to, to invite a lot of guest stars to do that. And now with the pandemic shit going on, everybody's in lockdown at home. This is the perfect timing, I thought, because all of my old heroes or or, um, or a lot of colleagues or whatever, they are sitting home, basically. They've got and the they can time. record their vocals in their home studio or their guitar solos or whatever. And they cannot say, no, I'm too busy. I'm out on tour. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, I, I saw this as a, wow, that's a per- perfect timing for this. So I can bring in a lot of my old teenage heroes or whatever, people from Manwar, from Saxon, from uh, Motorhead, from King Diamond, and, you know, a lot of different people and then colleagues and all that anyway so that's what i wanted to do and also to, to keep the fans on the, or on your toes or whatever or be able to get new material continuously instead of putting out an album because the longevity of an album is not more than even though you spent three years working on it or recording it or whatever it is uh, maybe it lasts for three months at most mm-hmm. And it's kind of dead. That's why I've wanted to put out digitally one song per month. Uh, so it's 12 songs on the album. And every 24th of every month, I'm going to put out a new song with new guest stars and, and so on. And by Christmas this year, on the 24th, then, yeah, I'm going to get the, the, the physical limited edition double album with where you collect all these stuff and, and also bonus tracks and takeouts and all that. But anyway, so that's what I've been doing. And it's been kind of difficult because uh, a lot of those older guys, for example, I mean, they are not up to speed with the technique of sending files yeah. and all that. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. this is just buzz. Bzz, you know, <laughs> you got to send me clean files you know and, and stuff so yeah but it, it works i mean there's a lot of going back and forth and stuff. but I, I think it's it's a, a cool concept one song per yes. month so it's like in tomorrow i think it is or the, the day after that i'm putting out the song number three for march and uh, and today i probably can, i'm gonna finish up two songs that i'm gonna send off to uh i won't say reveal too much but hank sherman for example so he can do um, a little bit of guest stuff there so and a lot of people all over the world, you know. It's a cool concept, and internet has really helped us. I mean, we're sitting here talking live, and we're recording yeah. this now, and you're, right. you're in North Carolina. I'm in <laughs> Gothenburg, Sweden. So, you know. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but you got to use that. I mean, internet has really fucked up the whole world. It's like the invention of, of the wheel or something, and that, uh, the play field has completely changed, of course, for exactly. everyone else. No, but if you look at it from a positive side, I mean, there's a lot of benefits from it, not just negative, obviously, you know, but record sale has kind of died and and just last year digital not digital where streaming services took up like 75 percent of of how you consume music nowadays and it's going to get worse Uh, and the remaining 25 percent is cds uh, vinyl albums and downloads but why do you need to download anything today i mean you can have it offline and stream it still you know exactly yeah so the things are changing but uh, there's no other way to look at it as adapt or die i mean that's the way it is you not turn back time really even even though i wish sometimes (laughs) right you know technology is a double-edged sword i can't imagine being a new band in this day and age people who have a lot of insight and i i would say that i do have a lot of insight in this because i'm you know running my own record company and my own business uh, do everything myself so it's not like universal banging on my door or sony to to throw millions after i hate to admit but that's the (laughs) fact (laughs) so so, i I gotta make things work my work myself then you see how it really is you know how tough it really is and not a lot of people understand 
understand what goes on behind the, the surface and stuff. And that's also what I'm explaining in my book. Uh, yeah, but like Jim Simmons has been saying that for a long time, for example. And, and, and people's been nagging so much. Oh, fuck you. Rock and roll isn't dead. No, I'm sorry. The, the industry, more specifically the industry, because I mean, he's, he's been saying that there's not going to be a new Beatles, a new Kiss or Aerosmith or Guns N' Roses, anything like that. Because I mean, you have to have, have your day job, like work, 40 hours per week and then at the same time try to uh get your your career music career going and it just doesn't match up right it's and it's hard to earn a living from music nowadays and with technology it makes it easier to get your stuff out there but it's also easier for the thousand other bands to get their stuff out there and you the of market course, of saturated. Course. you have to stand out it's kind of crazy yeah yeah i don't know what to, to make of it really i mean so so i have been analyzing and thinking about it i mean so so a lot of things it seemed that a lot of people follow certain standards. It has to be that in a certain way. And then when I've been mixing, and for example, he's been saying, oh, this is not industry standard, my recordings, for example. Or I don't have templates like, okay, this is popular now on the radio or whatever the fuck it is. I don't give a, I don't give a shit about that. I mean, I'm, I'm picking Rainbow Rising and Kiss Destroyer, and they are 40 years old. Yeah, yeah, but right. That's the way I want it to sound. Yeah, but that's not popular now. Do I give a fuck? No, I, I mean, I'm doing this to please myself, first right. and foremost, and hopefully other people will like that too. But so, I mean, if everything jumping on the bandwagon and trying to, to please the audience, I mean, and, and be like everybody else, I mean, then it's just going to be hundreds of bands doing the same thing. And it gets kind of boring, you know? Exactly. Got to yeah. be a little bit of more of that rebellious spirit where you say, fuck the establishment and fuck everything. You do things your own way. Right. Somehow people people are trying to kiss asses <laughs> we already mentioned we mentioned the goldfish mentality people have you might get people to listen to one song so if you don't catch them then they're on to the next stream you know or the next album or whatever yeah that's, we're certainly living in very very strange times and it's hard to, to compete with uh, you know when people's attention span is like so short they're watching the net yeah. cat video you know they don't really care about the riff yeah 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 <laughs> but, i mean I, I won't reveal too much about that but i have a, a an idea for for my next album after this this is have a metal plain and simple with one song per month i'm going to put out like a concept album and um, okay i can say it now because i've said a i gotta say b yeah but i've been thinking that that i should it shouldn't be different tracks so you cannot skip tracks and, and jump from it it's gonna you're just gonna be one track for 45 minutes because it's a concept you know a storytelling and all that my motivation for for doing that is just to piss people off obviously or stuff like that if i watch a movie i don't know about you but i start watching the movie from the beginning and see it all the way through and I, if i read a book i don't jump to page 215 and start there so you don't get any cohesiveness exactly. or whatever you say yeah but so i mean you gotta listen to it from from start to finish you know? uh, but now for a long time i mean uh, it's been picking the raisins out of the cookie whatever you say right um so people they just want to make their own playlist well i like that song and then they don't care about the other song so things don't get to to develop or what do you say like you don't grow into an album when i was right. a kid i bought an album for, for my hard-earned allowance or whatever you know i was like oh fuck this is the, is it good but i kept listening to it 25 times more and eventually it kind of grew on you yeah, like, oh, it'll become good <laughs> yeah 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 because you want it to be good because you, you, you don't have any money you know? but now everything is for free so easy come easy go if you if, if you would recommend something for, for me uh, listen to spotify or apple music or something i right, listen yeah i give it a couple of seconds and i jump to the next song exactly <laughs> It wasn't that good. Fuck that shit. You know, so yeah. that's how it works. You haven't or you haven't spent or, or uh, any money on it. So so kind of tricky. So I don't know how to to solve that kind of mystery or puzzle or whatever. If you got to try different methods and blah 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 or whatever yeah. it is super rich rich father a father who could buy all my albums so i end up on billboard list or something like that that'd be, you know, I have to, that'd be easier <laughs> yeah. very common strategy i hear come on since we're on the subject of the pandemic what is your opinion how are things going to look like going forward when the world reopens and we start shows again is it like what do you think that's going to look like i haven't put too much 
and I'm thinking about it, of course, but I mean, I, I reflect to what other people say. Like I mentioned that they can't wait for this thing to blow over so things can go back to normal, but things don't go backwards in time. And if you look at it, they say, well, I can't, I'm dying to go to shows again. Okay, but what is it really that I try to with shows? Is it the, the concert or is it that you go with your friends, hanging out, drinking some beer, and if you get lucky, you get laid? <laughs> and, and it's like, group affiliation you're with your own crowd right. what is it that, that where's the the attraction really i think uh, the, the whole scenery the, the whole thing's gonna change for the better i guess you know so so like i if i look to myself those kind of concerts that i went to when i was a, a teenager that i really appreciated the most is like when i'm out up there uh, you know in the crowd part of the whole thing but i haven't done that since i was maybe 16 or something like that so now you're standing in the back with your arms crossed like that fuck my back hurts i'm 50 years old you know <laughs> you know three songs is enough you know so you want to have it comfortable so if you can have like those kind of Las Vegas shows or something, you have big bands. You can sit there and drink and have dinner. Wow, excellent, fucking great sounding, and, and everything is well prepared. The band is there for um, two months, you know? Yeah. And, and right. they get the best out of everything, I suppose, you know? So maybe it, it's going to change. I don't know. I'm not saying rock and roll is going to die. It's going to be people in the garage yeah, playing, yeah. but if they can earn a living from it or or make it big and go out on big tours because there's going to be limitations i mean travel abroad you know over the borders you got to have that stamp in your in your passport like okay you're vaccinated otherwise yeah. you, you won't get in here and it's going to be really really complicated i mean yeah. i remember when i was starting touring we could smoke in in the in the air cabin you know in, in, yeah. in the flights and all that you know things get so much yeah, everything's changed. Funny, we were just talking about uh, smoking sections in restaurants the other day, how foreign that seems to people now that if you went into a restaurant and smoked, you'd probably get shot or something or, you know, run out of the building. Yeah, but it's so <laughs> weird. I mean, if you if you look at old movies, you oh, there's someone going to the doctor sitting there smoking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what unheard of now, you know? Right, exactly. Yeah, but so it's like comparison to boiling a frog. I mean, that's what you say. <laughs> you know, you, you gradually you adapt. You, right. oh, it's getting kind of hot now no probably not uh, just imagining well, ah, until you're boiled mm. things change and you adapt gradually and uh, you might complain the first week about new rules or whatever but then you adapt because i mean that's what you have to do i don't know if, if it's going to be that much touring and and it's if you look at it from a from a financial point of view it's also that i've been saying to some of my colleagues that let's say evergreen for example okay Usually they take that kind of money, let's say uh, 7,000 euros, for example, or dollars or something per show. But the, the, the promoter would say, nah, I get Queenstrike for 6,000. Okay, but then you have to lowball, low, what do you say? That? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, uh, you know, to start compromising there and stuff. And it's going to be really difficult because everybody's competing with the same odd. And regular people don't have an awful lot of money because, I mean... They cannot go to work either. Exactly. So it's going to be really, really difficult. So I don't know what's going to happen. But we've seen that. I mean, when this start, this thing started in like in March, April last year, you saw all those bands doing live streams and they were kind of begging, okay, put up their uh, PayPal account or something. Please uh, right. give us a do donate some money to us so we can survive. As far as I know, I mean, that has totally faded away and died because... Nobody's interested in it anymore. You even if, even much. though if you go go to a concert, I spoke to my one of my friends, and and she said that she loves this band and she goes to all their concerts when they're in town or whatever. But now she was sitting home like on Saturday evening, uh, having coffee or a cup of tea, and and watching them doing a live stream from 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 some place. And they were singing out of tone and their notes and stuff, and, and it's like a kind of the guitars are crappy sounding, and, and you yeah. know you're not there to capture the whole. Act atmosphere when you're there in the moment you don't notice all those big flaws or, or small details you're right. just absorbing the whole atmosphere and a good feeling but That's now you're sitting on a distance and you can uh, lower the volume and just check it out and it's kind of boring and they're just standing up upside down and you know playing their yep. instruments so it's not that much attraction in it so it's got to yeah. change i don't know what's going to happen here. 
Who knows? What yeah, do you think? It What's really depends on, on how the vaccinations go, I believe, because I think at first, even if there is a vaccine, I think folks are going to be scared of large groups just in general, just from the being isolated for a year and told you're not supposed to go hang out with your friends or you're not supposed to go in this large group. I think there's just going to it's going to be a lot of it's going to be real tentative at first, even when things open back up. Yeah, but I think this is a whole other agenda <laughs> behind the whole thing. I, I think it's uh, I don't want to be a uh, uh, cons- uh, ah, conspiracy. Yeah, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, but uh, I think this it's just a whole fucking made up thing for the fourth industrial revolution and uh, uh, the great reset and all that. I mean, so so we're going to change people. It's not going to be uh, have that much um, liberty to to do things themselves. So you've got to be a uh, fucking right. sheep, <laughs> you know, yes. and work in a factory. And we're on the same page. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, so that's pretty much what I think, and then I have no idea. But I mean, I I got some questions for requests for for playing uh, festivals like next year in April, March, or April, May. I mean, and they asked me about this now, and I said, what can I say? I mean, I I I cannot gonna put my band together and start rehearsing and making plans without knowing because I mean, when this the floodgates open, people was gonna see who want to see our maiden and kiss and ACDC and and. Uh, you're a priest and all that. They don't want to see me. I'm, I'm not a priority. <laughs> so I might as well sit sit tight and wait it out and just produce new music in my uh, in my studio. Because basically that that's what I like the most as well. I mean, I've had my fair share of touring the world. And I'm not so excited about that uh, anymore, really, i got to say. Because... Been there, done that kind of thing, you know? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, and, and I've seen so much and then it's not that exciting anymore. I mean, you better push the limit. I tend to get kind of bored being in a band after a year or something like that. It's just like uh, infatuated. Well, like, like when, you, when you're falling in love with something right? and it's exciting, right. everything is new. And then it became sort of routine. And it's like, then my thoughts start to drift off or something and I need more challenge or take on new challenges. Right. And to play live shows. I mean, nowadays, live shows are not so exciting. They are super predictable because you have an hour or you have uh, 70 minutes. And if you uh, play one minute over that, they're going to pull the plug because uh, so you have to time your uh, the way you're talking between the songs and people cannot really deal with that fact that, wow, do you have pre-recorded stuff like on a uh, yeah, but that's the harsh reality. I mean, like 98% of all the bands that have backing tracks. Yeah, but that's fake. Yeah, but welcome to reality. I mean, right. that's the way it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what because, it is. I mean, yeah, maybe not for ACDs, but they, they are that kind of band. But for, for most bands, because, I mean, in the past, let's say 70s and stuff, uh, they can brag about the Black Sabbath recorded their first album in 12 hours or something. But before they had been playing live and and and... and you know, rehearsed the stuff and, and knew their their music. Right. And they just recorded it like that. And they captured how the band sounded and they did it all together in the same room. That doesn't happen nowadays. I mean, I mean, I haven't recorded an album like that since or done anything in studio when you play live like that right. since 97, I think, was the last time. <laughs> that's wild. Yeah. yeah, but that's how it works. I mean, how can I other do... I do a lot of session work for, for mm-hmm. people, like recording drums and vocals and stuff. And they may be from Argentina or uh, or uh, Israel or something like that. It's not like I fly there and do vocals for one song. I mean, right. <laughs> they send me the files, obviously. So that's how it works. It's very convenient and, and um, you know, good. But I was doing this album with uh, Dennis Sherman, for example. And I was doing an interview with this uh, American lady. And she said, oh, it must have been good to get together with the old guys and talk old memories and shit. Uh, I hate to <laughs> ruin your illusion here, but we never met even because two other guys are, one in, is in Denver, the other guy in uh, uh, San Diego, and uh, the two Danish guitar players, they are <laughs> in Denmark. And I'm in Sweden, so they just send me the files. We never even meet. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh fuck! That ruins that the whole thing. Yeah, but that's reality, you know. <laughs> that's how it is. We're on the subject Sorry? of bigger bands. I got to ask you because you're one of my personal favorite bands, Sabaton. So how was that a relationship okay. established initially? They were actually uh, the opening band or the support band on the first tour, European tour I did with uh, with uh, Ethereum when I just joined as a singer. And then they had we were sharing the same bus and all that for like two months or something. Thing, uh, with, with this previously unheard of band Sabaton and uh, they were really good guys and we got along fine and they are so humble and down to earth and really nice guys and driven and 
you know, I, I mean, they are they are really good guys. I gotta say, you know, so so we became friends, and years later they called me up and asked me if I wanted to play drums with them, and and I just quit Therion then because I got to focus on on my solo thing. So I said, now I, I just quit this band because I have to put all the the, the energy and, and stuff on my own shit before I get too old. <laughs> or <Right>. whatever <laughs> but can't you do it for, for like six months or something uh, maybe okay send me the, the tour schedule i said and uh and when i got home later that evening uh, and i checked my mail it's like wow this went on from maybe november 2012 to to december uh, 2014 i say there's no way i can do that but can't you do it for uh six months at least okay depends on on the money, of course. <laughs> yeah, so I did that, and and I I don't regret it at all because uh, I may not be a massive fan of their their music, but I mean the, the camaraderie in the band and everybody who's working with the band from the bus driver to the, the merch girl or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean it's it's the best. I, I've been comparing Joachim and and Pat, the, the the leading guys like the bass player and singer, uh, to to Gene and Paul because. That's the kind of template or, or, or um, textbook example for how you should run a band. Right. They have like such a good strategy, and their pair is such an amazing uh, manager for the band. He uh, really thinks out of the box and and like for example they have their own uh, cruise yeah you know it's so impressive because he was thinking that okay they we they were supposed to to play finland and it's to to bring the whole tour yeah all the guys and all that the whole the the crew and all that and equipment's going to cost them so much but wouldn't it be good if we could play a, a show on this fucking ferry between <laughs> Stockholm and Finland? Yeah, but that's a good thing. And maybe we could pull in some fans as well. <laughs> so, so we started a Sabaton cruise. And while a lot of other people has been doing that, like uh, Sweden Rock Magazine, for example, have their own Sweden Rock cruise and all that. But they have kind of went belly up as far as I know, all of them. But Sabaton's still going strong. They sell out all the tickets in like half an hour. Isn't or something. Nuts. So yeah i mean I, and people's been saying wow it's so cool things are going great for you they have even have have put up a, a cruise for you guys and a festival what do you mean for for you guys it's us yeah we created yeah. it ourselves yeah. i mean yeah yeah and that's what they do so i'm i'm really really impressed by what they have accomplished and achieved in 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 such a short time after all you know it seems to happen really fast because the first time i saw them was in like 2012 i believe i think that would have been carlos rex tour and in the the united states they're opening for bands they have no business opening for in bars and it's a it's a great personal experience but i'm like man this is sabaton this is kind of disrespectful but now (laughs) now, when they come over here they're yeah but we're all kids to begin with and and i know that they were opening up for therium that is the reverse situation that therium went up to them same thing they were out touring with with hammerfall and kind of from what i've heard that that hammerfall wasn't so uh pleased with the kind of attention that the the, the openers got i mean <laughs> that's a standard thing of course you don't want them to shine too much or outshine the, the headlining band right. of course but then it's like the reverse thing i mean uh, they were touring in the u.s for example selling out like Madison Square Garden or whatever and Hammerfall is the opening act so I remember seeing Bon Jovi back in 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 83 open up for Kiss and they had like mm-hmm. one light bulb on stage and they were treated <laughs> like shit from what I understand but fast forward two years like that is the, 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 the other way around you know <laughs> so, so, right. so you got to treat those people on, on the ladder up like with respect because I mean things gonna change you know you never know when the next time the, uh, <laughs> they're a good example for that yeah mm-hmm. uh so but anyway I, I stayed with them for a year and then i figured that i, I must give myself the chance to at least fail <laughs> whatever <laughs> doing my own shit otherwise i will never be pleased with myself i'm trying to uh think ahead like okay when i'm 75 years old if i just sold my soul or rented out my services to others without trying to stretch my own wings i will be miserable so at least if i try you know of course then we have this kind of situation with the pandemic and all that and cancel tours and whatever but that happens to all of us so coincidentally like this song that's going to be out like in two days now it's called we are the survivors because underlying theme for 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 this specific album that i'm doing now is like other songs are called we are dinosaurs because i think it's it's kind of all this heavy metal thing now it's like 50 years old now or more and who's gonna last who's gonna land on their feet when this thing blows over because a lot of 
businesses is going bankrupt and a lot of the bands is just going to throw in the towel or, or just move on. This is yep. not doable anymore, you know. So we are the survivors. <laughs> That's what we see. Yeah. <laughs> so you've been in countless bands, countless number of live shows. Is there a short list of shows that stick out to you in memory where you just sit back and think, man, that was a cool night? Uh, I wish I could say yes, but <laughs> of course there are certain certain shows that I, that I keep sort of um, fond in my memory. Like when I was starting, starting out with King Diamond, for example, or Therion and stuff, but not really. I remember the New York show on Halloween, which I also write about in my book because it was like, wow. I'm playing the coolest city in the world. It's Kiss Country. And with King Diamond, it's like an Alice Cooper show with a big house on stage mm. and on Halloween. And I wasn't even aware of what Halloween was because we didn't have that in Sweden. So, wow, all the people are dressed up like in skeletons and witches and stuff. And that is right up my alley with the, my my fixation with the horror and Scooby-Doo. Right. <laughs> kind, of, kind of thing. Wow, what is this? It's like a dream come true, really. But I got to say, I mean, what you remember the most are the most fucked up shows or the best and, but in between you don't remember them if everything works uh, according to plan you seem to it slips your mind i suppose right right yeah. so i'm curious about your process of making music since you play so many instruments i'm probably sure you have various starting points drums riffs or anything but is there one that happens more regularly than the other i gotta say that that's a very good question i've been talking to my friend about about this that it's good to uh, put yourself in awkward positions or, or leave your comfort zone, whatever, and try out writing on something that you're not so uh, accustomed to or, or used to. I mean, like, I'm, a, I'm not a good p- piano player, for example, but that has its benefits because if I play guitar, I have, like, a little bit of preconceived ideas that, okay, you cannot play those kind of chords after each other because it's so fucking standard. Right. But I discovered that when I borrowed a keyboard like many years ago before I started Notre Dame, I was just like, wow, this sounds so cool. What is that? And when I, when I kind of recorded it and then put guitars on it, it's like, okay, EDC or the most standard fucking thing, <laughs> whatever. But I also discovered because you don't play a lot of harmonies when you're playing rock guitar, you're playing like you know, those uh, fifth chords or whatever it is, or bar chords or whatever. But when I was playing keyboard, you cannot just play the, the main tone or the octave you gotta play a harmony in between there so what i discovered there fuck i'm new i'm getting up <laughs> sorry yeah then i covered that wow if i play a major no a, a minor and, and another minor it creates that kind of suspense that you hear in horror movies and stuff and i'm like wow that was a big revelation to me so it's also good put yourself out of comfort zone to to discover new things like just starting to sing and put chords to that, for example. But for the most part, I, I, I don't play a lot of electric guitar or anything like that. I haven't, until recently in, I think in December or something, I haven't played like electric guitar for maybe two years or something, or, or bass or anything. But because, I mean, I don't, despite having earned this reputation of being a multi-instrumentalist and this and that, to me, I consider it like tools for, for my brain. Right. Uh, I don't I don't have any ambition to be a uh, face melting, uh, uh, shredding guitar, uh, guitarist like that. And, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, to me, it's just tools. But anyway, for the most part, I sit in my kitchen and uh, play acoustic guitar, you know, because it's just sits there and I pick it up and I do something. Then I discover, wow, that's a cool harmony or a, a nice chords or, and I sit and sing some sort of bullshit nonsense, um, gibberish, <laughs> wreck and rain, the slides, you know, and, and then I try to formulate those words and match words with them i mean that's usually how i work and i have this kind of uh, audio recorder on uh, an app on my computer so i just record that just to so i won't forget it for the most part i keep working on that a little bit and, and try to find a second part or a chorus or whatever it might be gotcha. and to, to, to find the, the, the proper the right words for the chorus and and, and after that even though i may it may be made up words. I try to find a cool title on it, and then I have to come up with words for for uh, for the verses and stuff. You know? so, yeah, but it's, I gotta say that I, I do that mostly like the vocal melodies and back that up with the music for the most part. Also. Right. That's usually how I work. But yeah, but I gotta say also that I, when I'm doing those kind of recordings, 
I sit and talk to myself, and there's going to be this like that, those effects, and and I may play a little bit of drums on the on the fucking kitchen table just to right, uh, yeah, just so I remember the whole thing. But I mean, I see the full song, so I write all the parts, and that's how it's been for forever, pretty much, you know. Which doesn't make me the most. Uh, I'm not such a good team player. It's not like I do one thing and then the other members add their things and, uh, as they wish because <laughs> I have everything figured out and I have to play like I say. <laughs> Otherwise, it's like, okay, but write your own song. Right. That has kind of created some friction in, in certain ways, like with Messiah, for example, who said that, oh, when I wrote the vocal melody and the lyrics to those chords that uh, accompany the, the melody and he was saying yeah but i don't tell you how to play the drums you shouldn't play me how to sing yeah but there's a difference i compose this you know <laughs> so, right. yeah. yeah so it's not like for your interpretation you can do whatever you wish take the fucking words i mean i'm not a, not a poet i put words to that melody that matches you know did uh mr messiah have anything to say about anything in the book yeah he he, he uh, ordered a book dedicated to him and say the world is waiting for you you've been missing out i mean people want to hear from you yeah anyway right but he's a very good he used to be a very good friend but the day after he received the book yeah he looked up his name of oh and i and i was spilling the beans telling the truth and uh my version of the truth at least he wasn't so fond of that so he removed me he and his wife ah, come on messiah come on yeah, yeah, yeah but I, I won't say too much because it's a lot of secrecy but i think that was a fucking kick in the ass for him so he got started now because he started working on his soul album back in 91 and i i've been saying that maybe you should speeds things up a little bit you know <laughs> i say so, <laughs> so <laughs> building yeah. yeah but i mean it's so much different to work with someone and to do just socialize with someone it's like two different worlds yeah 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 I, and definitely. i i have nothing bad to say about him on a friendly basis i mean we, we can drink beer and talk shit and that's right. the nicest time in the world you know but to work with him it's pretty well documented nowadays that he's been fired from cannabis, the cannabis twice and, and stuff. And yeah. So, so it's kind of hard to to, uh, to reason with him. I gotta say, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, those those actions kind of speak for themselves when you've been uh, kicked out of so many, so many times, you know? Yeah. I mean, no smoke without fire, I suppose, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so, so, I love you, Messiah. I'm not going to say anything else. <laughs> no, no, but I love him. I yeah. mean, I got I got to say, but you can read about that more in detail in the book and stuff. But when we uh, put together Memento Mori, Mike Weed called me because... I brought him into King Diamond to replace Pete Black and all that. And nothing really happened with King Diamond at that point because they lost uh, the, the contract with Roadrunner was terminated or something. And they were aiming for a major uh, deal with a major company. Anyways, me and Andy was put to, to uh, find replacements for the for for Hal Pacino and Pete Black. And uh, it landed on Mike Weed as the guitar player. And uh, But then they were fishing for deals and it took an awful long, long time. And we were supposed to do this Spider's Lullaby album, but nothing happened. We had no record deal. You could see that Andy was going to do his solo stuff and, and uh, Merciful Fate was getting back together and I was going to be part of that. And a lot of things happened. So, so there was no focus. There was, it was kind of a hiatus on the whole King Diamond camp for a while. Uh, anyway, so Mike Weed called me and wanted me to, uh, I'm going to form this doom symphonic doom metal band. Do you want to be a, do you know any good drummers? <laughs> Leading question. <laughs> I said, no, I can't say I know any except me, maybe. But, <laughs> but, but I said, to me, it's like really, really important to, to have a good frontman and a singer in a band. And to me, to make a doom metal band, the only doom metal band uh, that I'm thinking worthy of the, uh, the genre is, is Cannabis. And uh, I said, who's going to be the singer? Yeah, I've been thinking about Messiah. Okay. Now we're talking. You know? <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, so I couldn't figure out how could they fire him? He's like the best frontman ever. And the combination right. of Leif Edling's songwriting and that doomy music with that operatic full voice monk suit. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. I love it. I mean, they were opening up for King Diamond during the whole European tour. And uh, after the first night, I said, shit, we got to swap places. You got to be headlining because you're so <laughs> Because I love them. I really do. Yeah. But anyway, so I couldn't understand how they could get rid of him. But after a couple of days working in the studio, I, I got a... <laughs> An idea. I started to see why. You know? <laughs> 
Understood. Understood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Snowy. I'm not going to keep you all day, so I guess we'll wrap up with this. We've been talking about. I think the other way around. I can talk. It's my favorite subject. I can just go on here talking shit for, for forever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So obviously you're a fan of Kiss and Alice Cooper and that the whole shock rock genre. Yeah. So what are your favorite horror movies? I gotta say that I haven't keeping myself updated like in, in the last decade or something like that, because I grew, grew tired of it like you know, way back or something. But there's been some fucking excellent movies in, in, in the last couple of years. But if we look back when I was a kid, I mean, The Old Man, it's uh, always going to be my, my given answer to that because it's not a lot of splatter. It's not blood and gore. It's just like, wow, this is for real, you know, and, and yeah. it's so scary. But I also like Poltergeist, and, and if you go way back, like, to the 1920s and stuff, uh, Nosferatu, I mean, I think that's great, thrilling, and, and Max Schreck, that, that guy, I mean, the, the, the actor, he only did one movie, and then it disappeared, you know, they even make the, what's his name, um, they did some sort of remake, uh, kind of semi-documentary on how that was made, and how he, he sort of sucked the blood out <laughs> of the, 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 the makeup artist and shit like that, so, <laughs> oh, you can do that. You are my staff here. And William Defoe, he was like doing the the, the Max Shrek character and all. So, yeah, but so that that's a really impressive movie. I gotta say. I mean, that early on, just like I yeah. tend to like pioneers of stuff, like Arthur Brown, who was like the first shock rocker with mm-hmm. the fire, like the, the, in the same year as so I smashed it in the same year I was born, and then he kind of disappeared. So he was like before the the, the forefather of, of shock rock, before Alice Cooper and, and Kiss and and, uh, and all that. So that's kind of cool. And also with, when it comes to horror movies, what they could do with uh, pretty slim means or whatever you call it. I mean, they didn't have a huge right. budget or possibilities or technology to, to do something extraordinary, but they still capture a really, really spooky vibe and all. It was less yeah. about the budget and more about thinking outside of the box. You know, how can we yeah, make Yeah, yeah but it, in, in recent years, I just saw, uh, maybe a year or something ago, I saw this, uh, the woman wore black or not, a, what, what's his the name? The woman in black? The, the woman in black, yeah. Yes, that's a, a yeah. old remake of a oh, hammer I, have, I haven't been that scared. In, <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> that's a good one. I saw oh, that this in is spooky, a classic spooky suspense horror movie in a way. So I really love that. I have to turn it off and go and breathe. <laughs> 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 yeah, that was that was a good one. Yeah, yeah. really good new ones that the the Conjuring, for example, and, and, great, and all great those. Movie. Really good ones. That was one of the first horror movies uh, me and my wife went to theaters to see together. She ended up in my lap, and then we got married. (laughs) (laughs) What a good trick. (laughs) That is a good trick. (laughs) All right, Snowy, I'm not going to keep you any longer here. It's been great chatting with you. Before we let you go, uh, won't you tell people what you have on the horizon? I know you got a new song coming out in a couple days. Where can people find you? Yeah, but you can check me out on your your digital platform of choice, like whether it's uh, Apple Music, Pandora, or YouTube or iTunes or Spotify or whatever because I'm everything is kind of digital now and but I'm I'm still selling albums but it's not that much right. physical albums uh, so that that's why I figured that I'm going to collect it all all those 12 songs plus bonus tracks and and takeouts and some additional stuff there um on a on a double vinyl album what by uh, by Christmas in time for Christmas, but awesome. maybe pre-orders like limited and stuff. But I mean, you should check me out on, on my, my web shop. I run my own web shop, www.snowyshaw.net. It's pretty simple, snowyshaw.net. So um, where you can buy my book, for example, or, or a lot of T-shirts and albums and stuff. And I also got all the rights back after being in a legal dispute for like a decade and a half with my French record company. So I got all the Notre Dame back now and I'm going to try to remaster them and then reissue them somehow or make remakes or reprints or whatever and put that out. But everything, you can pretty much find everything through uh, through my web shop. I will yeah. make sure to put a link to all this stuff in the uh, episode. Please do, please do. And Snowy, uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, my friend. And when you get some more stuff coming out, I'll be bothering you again. It's not a bother. I mean, it's it's all my pleasure, I gotta say. You have a great day, my friend. Bye-bye now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, bye-bye.